This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris with you here Christmas morning. Merry Christmas, bud. Merry Christmas to you, sir. How how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, very excited about today's episode. Um, I think, like I mentioned in the previous episode, just a a really good companion to the uh, the Trans Siberian Orchestra Christmas Eve and other stories album. So, uh, yeah, any excuse to talk sabotage and Trans Siberian Orchestra is a good one uh, to me. So. I'm uh, I'm right with you there. There's uh th- this is what I'm definitely definitely looking forward to, uh, and have been since we started. I I knew this would be a, a good one, and I'm glad you chose it for this week. Um, before we get to, before we get to it, I just want to mention a couple of things that I had heard this week, which I thought were worth noting. Um, a lot of people that are into like the whole gothic, uh, doomy metal type of thing, obviously remember the band Tristania. Their singer um, just recorded a new album called Veil of Secrets. Um, I should say the band is Veil of Secrets. They have an album coming out, or actually I guess it's just released recently, called Dead Poetry. I think it came out at the end of last month. Um, I remember hearing or seeing one of the lyric videos for um, for this album. The, uh, the song was called The Last Attempt. Really, really like hauntingly beautiful stuff. Uh, and I was not the biggest Tristania fan, but not for lack of... Uh, enjoying their stuff. I just never really listened to them, I guess, but I'm going to go back and check it out after hearing uh, the new Veil of Secrets um, video, which, which which was really cool. And the other thing that I saw, um, the Prague Space website had basically this online festival uh, over this past weekend uh, where they had a bunch of bands play on both Friday and Saturday with obviously pre-recorded material, but it was really, really well done. Um, Subterranean Masquerade had headlined the first night. The second night was headlined by Chaos Divine, but with appearances from Voyager and Damian Wilson and a bunch of other uh, really well-known top-notch prog bands. But the one that really stuck out to me that I had never heard of before was a band called Anima Tempo. They're a Mexican prog metal band with a touch of metalcore, I guess, thrown in there. Um, I had never heard anything quite like it before, but they are really, really good. And they played three songs on the Saturday show. Uh, I'll definitely post a link to one of their songs uh, during the week. And I definitely, definitely recommend checking that out. But now that we've uh, talked about some of the new stuff, uh, I I guess, that we've heard or or whatnot, let's go back 25 years to Dead Winter Dead. Um, Do you remember when you first heard this album or, 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 or... you know where this, I guess, stands in terms of the other sabotage albums that you had heard at the time. Uh, this was probably one of the later albums that I owned. Um, I remember getting it uh, from CD. Now I want to say I ordered it along with Stradivarius's Visions album. I think I got both of them at the same time. Um, I at this point probably already owned Gutter Ballet, Handful of Rain, Streets. Um, Hall of the Mountain King, uh, Edge of Thorns. This was probably one of the later ones that I picked up. Um, Which is interesting because I guess this was probably the newest album they had come out with at the time. So you kind of 
dug a little bit deeper into the back catalog and then work your way forward. Right. I hadn't heard anything from this album. Um, whereas I had heard, you know, songs from gutter ballet and handful of rain, which led me to get those albums earlier, I guess. Um, but yeah, this one was always kind of like, I remember getting it and thinking to myself like, all right, I'm, I'm about to dive into a whole album full of sabotage songs that I've never heard before. Um, so I remember being pretty, excited about it and i think that over the years it's grown as far as my affinity towards it has grown um in that time it's been almost i don't know it's been a long time i I probably got the album in 97 or 98 so um yeah it's been a while but yeah it's it's still uh one of my favorite sabotage albums and and we'll we'll get into why but um you know, it's interesting to me because um, this album kind of marked a a, a kind of a, a different direction after the band had been through some chaotic times with the death of, of Chris Oliva. And Handful of Rain was kind of, to me, like thrown together by John Oliva, just almost as like therapy for dealing with his brother's death and you know, yeah, that, believe it or not, I believe I believe Handful of Rain was actually like a solo album in many regards. And, and and I know a lot of other people, including Alex Skolnick, get credit, you know, on, on that album. But from what I understand, it's really a John Oliva solo album packaged under the Sabotage moniker. Right. Uh, he did all the drumming. I mean, they put, um, you know, they put Steve Wackles's name and photo in the on the album liner notes. But John Oliva did all the rhythm guitar, the bass playing, the drumming. It was basically like Alex Skolnick did some um, of the guitar, like the lead guitar work and Zach Stevens did the vocals and John pretty much did everything else. And, right. and John had been keeping himself, you know, out of the spotlight of sabotage. He was un was not credited at all uh, for edge of thorns or handful of rain. Um, you know, he, he made it seem like he was kind of off doing his own thing with Dr. Butcher, but he was always still involved with sabotage behind the scenes. But I think he wanted to take his name and face off of the band and let them kind of, you know, sink or swim on their own. And so when edge of thorns was released in 93, it was, you know, the only album where you get to hear Chris Oliva um, play with Zach Stevens on vocals. So when handful rain came out in 94, it was kind of a, a hodgepodge an impressive one, but uh, so this was really the beginning of this next era of sabotage where they bring in Al Petrelli to be their, uh, their lead guitar player, uh, Jeff plate, who had been um, doing the drums during the handful of rain tour is be, is brought on as the band's permanent drummer, Chris Caffrey, who ha- was in the band briefly during the gutter ballet time and, um, and was also in Dr. Butcher with John Oliva. He was brought in to be the other guitar player. And, um, and John Oliva came back from behind the curtain and um, is, you know, he's in the band photos and he sings on two tracks on this album. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, Zach Stevens is back uh, and Johnny, Johnny Lee Middleton's back playing the bass. And um, I mean, to me, like this was such a epic, lineup that, and and it's a shame that it was only for two albums this in the wake of Magellan because it was such a, a a solid just solid solid lineup which really turned into what would turn into Trans-Siberian Orchestra's main lineup in a lot of ways but um 
yeah, this was the beginning of kind of this new kind of um, this new era of sabotage where it's not about Chris and John so much anymore as it is, you know, you know, it's, it's becoming more progressive, more symphonic, um, more classical. Uh, you have Zach Stevens who has a, a much more, a much smoother voice than John Oliva, but yet you still have John Oliva pitching in, singing two tracks on the album. So you still have that kind of throwback to the olden days. I mean, I think that for me, I mean, I love Chris Oliva. I love all like old school sabotage, but for me, like this is the definitive sabotage lineup. I agree with you. And I, I, I know that that is an opinion that gets a lot of flack because I I think a lot of the, uh, especially a lot of the older sabotage fans, they look at those first five albums, you basically sirens through gutter ballet and they think that that was kind of the heyday of Sabotage. And in a way, it really did pave the way for the more uh, classically oriented or the more symphonic stuff that we would hear later on. Um, and obviously, you can still hear in these songs, I'll harken back to uh, especially stuff on Gutter Ballet, but it's it's a little bit more polished and a little bit more well-produced, I guess. And and but I don't say that as a bad thing. I actually think it's really what elevated them to the next level. And you were kind of talking about this album being a little bit of a transition. The way I look at it, and and, and I don't disagree with you, everything up through Gutter Ballet was kind of like the the the, the first era of Sabotage. Then you get to Streets and, and, and Edge of Thorns and Handful of Rain, and you kind of have like the real like John... You, you can see John's thumbprint and his thumb ride and his, you know, his, 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 uh, songwriting all over that with him and him and Paul O'Neill. And then when you get to dead winter dead, they kind of do a pivot, but they really just take things to the next level, if you will. And, and this is t- to me, when I think of like a classic sabotage lineup, this is what I always look back to this and the wake of Magellan, which happened to be my two favorite sabotage albums. Um, not that the old stuff isn't great. I love it. But these two albums, really, I just love the direction that the band took. And I thought that to have these two albums released two years apart with Christmas Eve and other stories, you know, smack dab in the middle. It's I mean, they they were really hitting their stride at this point. Without a doubt. And it's again, like we we talked about kind of the storytelling and, um, you know, the the influence that. Uh, Paul O'Neill had on the band when it, or had on the, uh, I'm sorry, had on the Christmas Eve album that we talked about in the last episode. And you can, I mean, you can hear that totally in this and you can see, you can totally understand how this album was kind of the beginning of the birth of the the idea of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra and where, how that kind of led into that as well. But, you know, at the same time, like you said, like it also, um, set them up for you know the wake of magellan which is personally i think my all-time favorite sabotage album um and that's not an easy thing to to surmise for me because i'm such a huge fan of the band and always have been but um i just feel like that was their just like their their peak of everything and and this lineup on this album you can see that they're just headed right in that direction like headed towards greatness and um I don't know, like maybe it was because I became a fan at the time that this was the current lineup of the band. But um, I mean, just to me, like everything, the lineup of the band, the influence of Paul O'Neill, the the adding the the more story elements, um, adding more symphonic and orchestral and classical elements. Um, I, I mean, it's this is really just a, a fantastic um, 
it, it's a it's a fantastic way of like showing what sabotage was at this at this point in time and and it makes you wonder like what could have been if the band had continued with this lineup um you know beyond you know the late 90s i mean who knows what we could have seen i think that's that's the big one right because dead winter dead is 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 and, and to your point dead winter dead in the wake of magellan my two favorite albums as to which one is my favorite i guess it depends on which one i listen to most recently i i kind of go back and forth just because i love them so so much they released Poets and Mad Men in 2001. But after that, you know, John has his solo career with John Oliva's Pain. Uh, Zach is doing his circle to circle stuff, but they never really, you know, the, the, the two of them never really come together. I'll tell a quick story. You know, I, I saw uh, I saw John Oliva's Pain and Circle to Circle play a show together. Um, <laughs> what a motley crew this was. I remember watching this show with Mark Jansen and a couple of other people. Mark Jansen of Epica fame. And we were watching John Oliva do the John Oliva's pain stuff. We watched Zach Stevens do the wake of, uh, you know, the circle to circle stuff that he had been doing at the time. And then for an encore, Chris Caffrey comes out. And so it was really the closest thing I had gotten to that point in the t- in time. I guess it was around 2007, something like that, maybe 2008, where you get to actually see three of the, key pieces of sabotage on stage at the same time going back and playing the old favorites and it was just a night i will never ever forget it was it was i mean you want to talk about a random night it was that this was it but it was just so much fun and so cool to see them doing this stuff because the first time i ever saw sabotage play was on the poets tour but uh, if you recall, Zach Stevens was not with them at that time. They had Damon Janaya doing lead vocals, and he was great, but he wasn't Zach Stevens. And I never got to hear Zach do the old Sabotage stuff, let alone with Chris on guitar and John, uh, you know, on the keyboard. So that was that was definitely a really unique experience. And uh, you know, we we talked about the uh, the Wacken show, the Wacken show from um, 2015. You know, in retrospect, I think I would have killed to go to that show just because of, uh, you know, you just never know if you're going to get a chance to see this all again. Yeah, I mean, I still still have my fingers crossed that somehow, some way, um, you know, they, they could figure it out. But I mean, this is the lineup that I would want to see do a live sabotage reunion show, you know, because you have both Zach and John uh, in the band at the same time you know, and you have, uh, to me, like that's, you know, that's the classic sabotage band. You're never going to be able to see Crystal Leva play with the band. So, I mean, to me, like maybe you put that, you know, old school sabotage lineup to bed and, you know, this is the lineup you go with and being that everybody seems to be pretty friendly with each other since basically every single person on this album is, um, involved it currently with Trans Siberian Orchestra. Um, it, it seems like I don't know. It seems like a no brainer to me, but I'm sure that there's a lot more. You know, that doesn't meet the eye. That you know, um, behind the scenes, behind closed doors. You know, is John healthy? Is you know, there's so many questions. But I mean, even if it's a one off at you know at the Prague Power USA Festival or something. I mean, I just hope that. I've never really seen to me like a full, like a, a true full sabotage set. You know, I, I also saw them during the poets and mad men tour, but you know, Petrelli had left the band to join Megadeth, and, and Zach had already left the band. And, 
Um, so for me, like I'm still waiting for what could potentially be the first and last time I see like this, you know, classic, classic um, lineup of the band. I, I, I completely agree. Um, just going back to Dead Winter Dead for a second, you know, it's 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 a really deep story. And although it's not the band's first concept record, I obviously Streets being the first concept album the band did. Um, this is probably, I would say, the the most uh, the deepest, if you will, in terms of just a real backstory. And I'm not going to get into too much detail because I could talk for hours uh, about the history here. But it basically is a love story focused around the Bosnian War of the 1990s, which is one of the most bloodied, you know, I mean, more people died and more casualties during that war than than many of the other, um, you know, just bloody, bloody, bloody war with, um, you know, uh, with with anger and hostility that go back for, you know, f- forever. Um, but it, when, but when you ha- when you package this, you know, this this terrible, terrible tragedy in many ways with this beautiful love story of a, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's absolutely beautiful. And, and the way that they're able to tell this story and incorporate, um, you know, parts of Mozart and Beethoven. I just thought it was just a brilliant, brilliant composition from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and it, it it's um another example of of when you put the genius of John Oliva and Paul O'Neill together, both with story storytelling and, and and lyrics, um what the magic that that is that comes from that. And it's a, it's an example of once again, you know, them using a real life story to tell, tell a tale that, you know, is going to be expressed musically. But what, you know, at the end of the day, what they're trying to say is that like, hopefully, you know, the prevailing, the prevailing emotion is peace and that, and that, you know, we can find peace in our differences. And, and I think that's kind of what the end of the story is trying to, to, um, to share with us. And it's again, like um, the way, the way that they tell their stories, I mean, like, you know, streets is one type of story and wake of Magellan's a different type of story. And this is a, this is a very, like very hard, like hard hitting true, you know, real life truth, you know, um, truthful tale you know like a, a, a you know it's a it's a fictional tale set in a realistic background um you know and the music really portrays all of that you know really well with it it, it, it kind of has like a darkness to it but at the same time you're getting that you know um symphonic kind of uh classical parts sprinkled in um, you know, with, you know, with a lot of, and that's something too, that like sabotage hadn't done a ton of, of like kind of that classical instrumental type stuff. And this is where it really starts to become part of their signature sound. Yeah. Know? Yeah. More of something that you, you know, you're going to get with them. I mean, the album just starts out with like the song overture. Um, it's just a like almost two minute classical piece, but with, you know, your heavy metal guitars and drums just getting you ready for like, here we go. Like it, it's, it's, it, it comes in with, with a lot of bombast right away and just is like, okay, here we go. Like we're not yeah, easing into absolutely. this. And, and I, I find this to be a very, very 
dark album in many ways and and almost like a cold album and, and i i guess that's obviously what they're going for because of the, the the war that's going on and obviously when you get to a song like christmas eve you know it's it's very 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 cold and wintry and and, and i guess because you, you can hear so much of this album on christmas eve and other stories you know i i, I often thought you could package it as a two cd set just because of how much overlap there was between the two both in terms of overall feel and the fact that this album always felt like a a non-christmas christmas album to me if that makes sense just because of the uh the cold and darkness that surrounds it and, you know that time of year obviously is 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 known for its you know the snow and the cold and whatnot but like you said overture it just it, it right off the bat it just paints the picture for what this album is going to be it's it's two minutes but it it sets the stage for the next hour yeah, without a doubt. And like really the first the first three tracks that there's not really a pause. Like it it, it all yeah. kind of bleeds right at one into the other. You know, track 2 Sarajevo, it's kind of like this, you know, eerie quiet like, you know, kind of setting the setting the story lyrically and then goes right into this is the time which is just like really if you want to talk about um a, like a signature sabotage sounding song like this is it it just kick starts with the with a, a just great guitar solo and and zach is just like you know singing his heart out like, performances uh, honestly and th- that song is one of zach's i think best best performances on any record that, that that's how much praise i can give to that and you mentioned the guitar solo in the be- beginning i was actually going to reference the guitar solo in the middle and end of the song, because those solos to me, you know, sometimes a particular solo will just resonate with you. I mean, it's something that you can just feel at your core. That guitar solo has always just like hit me right, you know, right in the feels, as they say that, that, that guitar solo is just like, it sings to me. I think it's one of the most beautiful solos I've ever heard. And that's, you know, obviously, you know, tons and tons of guitar solos, but this one was just, it's one of my all time favorites. I love this track and it's, it's so peaceful and it's such a beautiful song. You know, this is basically you know, there's this song. The whole point of it is to celebrate the 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 independence and and the fact that the the Berlin Wall has just fallen down, uh, and, and the collapse of communism. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful song. But then you have on top of that the next track, "I Am," which is like one of the most brutal, selfish, uh, self righteous songs that you can possibly have. And I love the contrast between those two. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, welcome back, John. I mean, this is John Oliva's first uh, vocal recording with Sabotage since uh, since Streets. So um, it's been six years. We haven't heard John on a, or I'm sorry, four years, because we haven't heard John on a on a Sabotage record in four years. And he's back with a vengeance. And yeah. he sounds, and it's great because they chose, the two songs they chose to have John sing, um, I Am and Doesn't Matter Anyway, probably are the the heaviest crunchiest songs on this album and, and i like what they did here and on wake of magellan where that they chose like the two really heavy thrashier songs to be sung by john they did it again on on wake of magellan um just perfect like just perfect songs for him to be on i don't even know if i could picture zach singing those songs like just as I don't know if I could picture John singing the rest of the album uh, that Zach does. I mean, their dichotomy as vocalists is so is so perfect here, where you just have these two totally different singers, but also two singers that 
like absolutely represent the voice of this band um that like to me like i you could i i couldn't pick which one is more important to me as the singer of sabotage to me like they're both so important to this band uh to have them both together it, it, and and you know have these like smooth orchestral tracks like this is the time with Zach's unbelievable more classically styled vocals and then this song like I am which is just like a real thrashy crunchy you know powerful song you got John and doing his trademark cackle I mean it's it's just it's just great it's just and it's just and like you said it's such a great transition from one to the other not just song to song but almost era to era yeah, you know it's funny. I I, I can I, I can somewhat hear John doing some of the other stuff just because you you know they've released a lot of acoustic tracks with him doing some of the older ballads and stuff like that, and it's amazing. I can't picture Zach singing "I Am." I just can't do it. I, I you know I, I look back to a song like "Taunting Cobras," which is probably the heaviest song that he sings on you know in the back catalog. And I sometimes say to myself, I wish John was singing the song. Not that it's not that Zach doesn't do a good job, but I almost think that that song was originally written for John's voice, being that it was, you know, a glorified solo album for him back on Handful of Rain. Um, I'd love to hear that. And I'm sure I never will, but I would love to hear John actually singing that. Uh, I'm not sure that I want to hear Zach singing. I am. I just, it's just, I, I, I can't picture it. And I think that the, the, the difference, the contrast between the two is what makes this so good. Um, but if you lit, you know, just another track while, you know, while we're talking about it, if you listen to a song like, uh, you know, the beginning of one child or uh, certainly a song like this isn't what we meant. If you close your eyes, you think you're listening to Christmas Eve and other stories. That's how, uh, that's how I guess the, the parallel course that these two albums run on, you, you would think it's a Trans-Siberian Orchestra album. And, and, and this isn't what we meant is maybe one of their most underrated, but certainly one of their best songs uh, in their entire catalog. Yeah. It, and I think like what you're referring to is just that the John Oliva key, like signature keyboard sound, yes. you know, Absolutely. and that, that piano sound that, that carried right over to Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And you're right. Like, I'm glad that you you stopped on this song because I, this isn't what we meant is maybe one of the most beautiful songs that Sabotage ever wrote. It's such a it's just such a good song. And once again, Zach's vocals just soar on this. I mean, he oh, it's he's yes. just he's just such a it's such a great vocalist. And again, like, you know, you can listen to John do an acoustic version of this. And John has such a soulful kind of raspy voice. But I feel like with the with the, the the accompaniment that's you know meant to be heard on this album, like it just lends to to what Zach can do as a vocalist. And you know, with this song along with "This Is the Time" and "Not What You See," like these are like three just really epic power ballads that Sabotage I don't think has a peer when it comes to to writing like a power ballad this way without. Without, because you, when you think power ballad, you think like cheesy, and and it, it's not, it's not cheesy at no, all. And especially again on this album, and it's it's the signature signature sabotage sound. But on this album, you're talking about such a deep story, as I had mentioned earlier. Um, there's nothing cheesy about it. I mean, it brings tears to your eyes when you when you listen to some of these songs. Though those three uh, those three tracks are probably 
uh, three of my all-time favorite songs of all time, let alone Sabotage, let alone anything else. Um, just absolutely fantastic songs. And, and the way that they build and they build, it's just um, unparalleled. There's there's nothing like it, honestly. And that's and I think it's, tr- it's tracks like that that really make these, you know, this and The Wake of Magellan my favorite discs because, you know, it's as much as I love gutter ballet, uh, you know, and, and I love songs like of Eurasian war uh, 24 hours ago, it doesn't have the passion and the, and the pageantry that these songs do. Sure. I mean, passion, maybe, but pageantry, definitely not. Like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, cause it really is, you know, the difference between, a a, a just a, a heavy metal band and a, you know, uh, and now like, adding an orchestral element which i think we started to kind of get a little bit of that on handful of rain but i think this is where they really took it to that next level and probably i would imagine that at the time that paul o'neill is putting this thing together this is where the seeds of trans-siberian orchestra are starting to grow in his head um because that's basically what comes of this and with this song uh, you know, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, uh, you know, December 24th, you know, Bob Kinkle was part of, of putting the song together for Sabotage. And, and, you know, the story goes is that him and, and uh, Paul O'Neill threw this song because this was released as a single by Sabotage initially. And that's right. And it, you know, as far as a Sabotage single is going to blow up, it did, you know, it wasn't like, I don't think it was playing on the radio or anything. Um, maybe it was, I don't know, but, um, you know, there was, it definitely had buzz. And I think that they, you know, they knew they were onto something and, you know, they, they didn't even re-record this song for Trans-Siberian Orchestra. They just t- pulled it right off, it right off album. the album. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. You know, it, it reminds me of, um, I alluded to last time when I met Paul O'Neill, um, I had met him a couple of times, but I was at a sabotage show. It was the first time I had seen them. Uh, they were headlining at a club in Brooklyn called Lemoore's, which was this really, really tiny club, but a very, very famous rock club. And it was where all the bands were coming through in the eighties and early nineties. And then, you know, obviously in, into the, into the late nineties and early two thousands. And I, as I was there, um, Fate's Warning had just ended and Sabotage was about to go on stage. And I bumped into Paul O'Neill and I was a kid at the time. I think I, if I was 21, uh, I wasn't much older than that. A couple of days past my 21st birthday. And I said to him, I said, you know, you know, I, I'd seen you guys with TSO and I had met you previously. Um, you know, can you just tell me a little bit about like where the band is going and where they see themselves going and stuff like that. And he took so much time, even though Sabotage was about to go on stage. I think we sat and chatted for about 10 minutes um, before, before Sabotage, you know, would take the stage, the nicest guy in the world. And I remember I I had a bunch of um, CD booklets with me and I, I asked him to sign them and he says, all right, turn around. So I wind up standing away from him, I bend over and he's literally signing the booklets on my back. And I still have those, those CD booklets. The guy was, he, if he, he would, he would give you the last quarter in his pocket. If, if you needed it, he just seemed like the most genuine guy. And we were talking about this album in particular. And the fact that, you know, I, you know, I, I had mentioned how much I just particularly love this album. And, and I, I think he thought that this might have been the best sabotage album from his opinion, not just because it, 
would later turn into what we know as TSO, but he just, he, I think he just had a soft spot for this particular album. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and like I know, like I said before, there, there was just magic with when John Oliva and Paul O'Neill put their heads together. I mean, it was just a magical combination and sabotage was great before, um, Paul O'Neill got involved with the band, but it, it, in 1987, when Paul O'Neill started producing the band, I mean, that's when that's when they hit became stride. legends to me. Yes, I agree. I mean, he, he his his first appearance or his first, uh, I guess, his first time writing songs along with John was during Hall of the Mountain King, and I and I've always thought that that's where the band really started hitting. Uh, their stride, which would continue th- for the next 15 years, essentially, um, with with albums just getting better and better and better. Um, but uh, but I agree that you can you can you can hear his influence on Hall of the Mountain King, and you can certainly hear Paul's influence on all the subsequent releases. And and I mean, even going back to that Hall of the Mountain King album, like that instrumental uh, prelude to madness um, is, is. I mean, we're talking about almost 10 years before Trans-Siberian Orchestra's first album came out. I mean, that even in a lot of ways, you could see that their the classical influence, you know, was something that, that John Oliva and Paul O'Neill wanted to explore. And I mean, it's a song that is, is played by the Trans-Siberian Orchestra now. Um, so, I mean, obviously like his, his introduction to the band injected, something that maybe sabotage wasn't going to get otherwise. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we talk about, you know, we obviously talked about Zach's uh, vocals on this album. We've talked about John's vocals, um, but two of the best tracks on the album, at least for me, are Mozart and Madness and Memory, the two instrumental tracks in the middle of the album. I There is not a time that goes by where I don't listen to Memory and get choked up. And, and I say that because my grandfather was a huge Beethoven fan. So I got introduced to that at a very young age. And when I get to hear, or when I got to hear Ode to Joy, uh, Beethoven's interpretation of Ode to Joy on memory, I I can't keep a dry eye listening to that song because it brings me back to my childhood and all sorts of memories with my grandfather that this album, it was just like taking everything that I had heard as a child and all the memories that I had. And then you know, to something that I loved as, as a teenager and, and obviously still today, nothing beats the emotion of, of that particular song for me. I just think it is one of the most beautiful songs, or both those songs really, but memory in particular is just one of the most beautiful passages I've ever heard. And Mozart and Madness, again, was another song that was repurposed as a, uh, as yeah. a Trans-Siberian Orchestra song. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and obviously the, and the influence was there that, you know, you saw TSO come out with the Beethoven's last night album. So obviously this was something that was percolating back in this era, but it was just so well done. Um, this is an album that is, is timeless. I can't believe it's been 25 years. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, I was just like kind of picturing like hearing Trans-Siberian Orchestra, like, re just perform this entire album live and how amazing that would be with just all of these. I mean, you have Zach at your disposal and John, if if you need them to, but even if you wanted to use some of the more Broadway style, classical, you know, classically trained singers, but um, I mean, it really is just, you know, um, I think uh, we didn't mention 
uh, Dead Winter Dead and One Child, which I believe both tracks were singles and possibly, I know there was a music video for One Child. I think there might have been for Dead Winter Dead. I don't know that I've ever seen it. Um, but those are, uh, you know, two of the kind of just like, uh, I don't know, like maybe like mid-tempo songs. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like definitely like they're not ballads or anything. They're they're definitely heavy. Um, but those kind of like round out the album because I'm pretty sure we've made mention of just about every other track on the album. But um yeah, One Child is is uh, a great tune. Um there's um there's a cool music video that they did um that really fits the the you know how you would picture what's going on in this album. Um and Dead Winter Dead is kind of like you know, another also like kind of mid paced, like, you know, heavy, heavy metal song, but, um, you know, and then those lead right into, you know, the classic Christmas Eve Sarajevo, which I, I would like to point out that if there was ever a song that, that I should be sick of hearing at this point in my life, it would be this. And I still love it. You know, like it, it's never going to be my favorite track from this or Trans-Siberian Orchestra's, you know, Christmas Eve album. But, um, it's still maybe just because of how good it is live, but I mean, I I'm still not tired of it. And maybe because I don't listen to it for 11 months out of the year, might have something to do with it. But I mean, it's, I couldn't picture either album without it. And, and um, it, it leads right into not what you see, which is just this epic, you know, way to just wrap up the story in this album. And um, I'll just say it right now. Like, that would that was my choice. I mean, and and it wasn't an easy choice, but that was my choice for my favorite track. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was inclined to choose the same one. I'll, I'll get to mine in a second, but I'm happy you brought up Dead Winter Dead, only because for whatever reason, I never felt that Sabotage paid that much attention to this album in their live sets. Uh, when they were touring for the album, yeah, obviously they they were they were playing it much more. But even on the wake of Magellan tour and and later on the Poets tour. They never really played much off of this album, um, but "Dead Winter Dead" is the one track they seem to play live, and they played it, you know, in 2015 at Vakin. You know, it's I'm, I'm glad that they played that track, if for no other reason that it was a good a way to remind the fans that this album is is part of the catalog and you know holds holds its place in in the Sabotage discography. I think it's a, a very underrated track. And I'm glad that they actually picked it out to play uh, back in 2015. You know, we, 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 we were lucky enough to see John Oliva do Streets at Prague Power. Uh, uh, we were lucky enough to see Zach sing The Wake of Magellan at Prague Power. I am dying to see this album in its entirety. I, I just love the album. And, and we, you know, what, what better way for TSO to go out than to do the entire album and then do a set of Christmas uh, related tunes, you know, in, in a second set. I, I just, it's something that I'm longing for. And you alluded to it earlier. I just, it's something that I would love to see and it would kind of complete the trifecta, at least for me. I could not agree more. I would, uh, I'd love that. I mean, um, I was going to say like, um, yeah. So like dead winter dead. What I just, I was just looking it up. Dead winter dead was a single that was released. There was not a music video for it. Um, yeah, like being able to see those two classic albums performed in their entirety with the original singer, it was super cool. I mean, if if like um, if Zach wanted to 
come back with circle of circle and play all of this. I don't think, I think they've done edge of thorns and they've done wake Magellan. I don't believe they've done dead winter dead. Um, and I do know that there was a time I know that, you know, Paul O'Neill always talked about, uh, re-recording some of these sabotage songs with the trans-Siberian orchestra. And, and I know that there was talk at one point of them releasing a TSO album of sabotage cover. Yes. Yes. And you'd have to believe that a significant amount of songs from this album would have been chosen to be on there. I would, I would definitely think so. And it would certainly hold its place. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to see Zach sing live this past year. I, I can't believe it was 11 months ago. It feels like 11 years ago at this point, but I saw Zach do um, two sets with Arshan Angel, uh, his band um, with Aldo from Secret Sphere um, on 70,000 tons of metal. And he still sounds great. Um, and he played a couple of sabotage tunes in both sets, nothing off this album, but a couple of sabotage tunes. And he, his voice is still very, very good. Um, you know, you just, I'd like to see it before it's too late. Um, you you just don't know if they're ever going to get back to it. This would have been the year, obviously, or at least a year to consider given that it is the 25th anniversary. But, um, you know, obviously this year wasn't meant to be hopefully, hopefully at some point in the future, if I had to choose a track, if you're going to select Not What You See, which kind of wraps everything up into a beautiful bow, I'm going to go with This Is The Time, which kind of sets the table um, for the rest of the album. Uh, not not quite like Overture, but just in terms of this over-the-top, grandiose, uh, epic song, which is supposed to be a celebration, but quickly turns into uh, you know tragedy and turmoil. So that, that's that's definitely going to be my my uh, track of the week. I look forward to listening to that again. And now that I've gone down the rabbit hole, I'm probably going to hang up and, and listen to The Wake of Magellan right after this, just because of how much I love uh, I love both of these albums. Yeah, I mean, why not? I I might just uh, follow suit. I mean, I, I I could I think I said to you off air in between episodes um, that I could talk about sabotage for hours. You know, sabotage was my first favorite heavy metal band. I mean, like it, it, I was just obsessed. Like when I got first got into heavy metal, like I was obsessed with this band. I had to get every album. I had to hear every song. Um, and, and it's just like, they just kind of faded away. Like, you know, they, they released, uh, poets and Madmen in 2001. Um, Zach was supposed to sing on it. For whatever reason, yep. he had left the band. John did all the vocals. It's a great album. And, you know, they did a show. I think they did a tour for, they definitely did a tour for Poets Mad Men. They played together at Prague Power under the uh, Weapons of Mass Destruction banner. And outside of Trans Siberian Orchestra and the Vakken show, I mean, the that band has been just kind of faded into right. obs- obscurity. And, and it's, and it's disappointing because, and you know, John has done it said in interviews like, you know, you got Circle of Circle, you got John Olivas Payne, you got Trans Siberian Orchestra, like, you know, you have there's remnants of of all these different segments of this band, but you know, we all know that the fans they want to see this this band do, you know, a real whether it's a, a like a final tour or just something that maybe can give everybody a little bit of closure instead of just kind of quietly fading off. It's, it's funny. It's, I I think it's a classic example of the pieces together being greater than the sum of 
I guess the sum of the parts being greater than the individual pieces. And then I say that because, you know, I, I think that circle to circle and John Oliva's pain, it's, it's all good and whatnot, but when you put it together, something magical happens and, you know, it's, it's, I, I can't fathom that we don't get to at least hear this music live in some way, shape or form. Um, again, I, I just can't, whether it's in tribute to Paul O'Neill, whether it's for an anniversary, um, I, I just feel like the end is, the end is not here yet. And it's just a matter of what uh, transformation they make in the future. That's just my, just my opinion. Um, can you, can you rate the album and, and how high is it? Because I know it's going to be very, very high. No, I'm going to give it the pretty much the exact same rating I gave uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. It's uh, 9.5 for me. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. And like I said, whether it's uh, a, a 9.5 for this or a 9.5 for The Wake of Magellan, it's it's really as close to perfect as, you, as you're going to get. It's just, they're, they're just magical albums. And they and, and you know something what also surprised me, I never get tired of listening to them. No matter how many times I go back to them, even now, 25 years later, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. Right, and it's not like you have new material to go and listen to it's no. been almost 20 years since they recorded a track so um but yeah i mean you're talking about like all-time classic you know music all-time classic albums i mean i mean if you just take to me like you take everything from you know hall of the mountain king all the way through wake of magellan like that you're talking about like i guess that's six albums right there six of the greatest albums that i've ever heard yeah, I mean, what a run, just one after the other. And I'm sure we'll go back and we'll do uh, some more of the uh, Sabotage back catalog as time goes on. But uh, I, I just think it's a perfect fitting for, for for Christmas Day and for Christmas week and for for just, you know, to, to tie this all to, to Christmas Eve and other stories. I just think it's a perfect, perfect album selection for, for this week. And, and, and quite frankly, now that I've listened to it a bunch again, it'll just be in heavy rotation until, until, you know, until something else uh, takes its place just because of how much I love it. And it's just something I find myself always listening to this time of year, because again, of that cold, dark feeling that I had discussed earlier. Um, and, and you know what, now, I'll say this, you know, it, it's going to be a tough act to follow. I, I have something for next week, which will be our last episode of, of 2020. Uh, and, and it's definitely in a different, uh, definitely a different vein, but ironically, it's very close in time to dead winter dead. It's, it's another album from 1995. Um, blind guardian had just released a basically expanded anniversary edition of imaginations from the other side. And that's what I wanted. That's what I want us to listen to for next week. It is widely regarded as one of the greatest power metal albums of all time. Um, and, and, and although it's, I'm not sure that it's one that you necessarily listen to as much as some of the others for reasons we'll get into next week, but I really look forward to celebrating the 25th anniversary of this album along with blind guardians, new, uh, you know, basically the new package that they put out for this album, just because it is a heavy hitting album that is uh, sometimes doesn't even get its just due, even in power metal circles. Yeah. This was an album that um, I didn't own initially. And uh, I had somewhere far beyond and nightfall and middle earth. And I was missing that. I guess that would be the album that ties those two together in between. And it wasn't until uh, they announced that they were going to be playing it um, a few years ago, uh, I think initially they announced it for Prague power. Did they play it 
for the whole tour? Did they play the whole album, or was it only a Prague Power that they played? No, they they did they did an entire tour around it. Right, and so to get ready for that, I went and, and really sat down and, and listened to that album, and that was really the first time for me. And and yeah, it, it I would say that the um, the praise that it's received was uh, was it was worthy of it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's been a while since I've listened to it, but then as I saw that they had done this repackage, if you will. I wanted to go back and listen to it selfishly, so I hope everyone else enjoys it. Certainly, um, it is it is a power metal classic from uh, you know from Blind Guardian, and we'll we'll talk about it in depth uh, next Monday. Good, I look forward to that. That's a great choice. Thanks, man. I'll uh, help everyone has a merry Christmas, uh, and obviously we'll we'll catch you next Monday, and then we'll uh, head into the new year from there. So uh, on behalf of the Metal Exchange guys, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, enjoy. <laughs>